Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of the Miami Tech Pod. I'm Cesar Fernandez, and as always, we are joined by Brian Breslin, Will Weinrob, and Maria Durchi. And we have an exciting episode today. Atomic founder Jack Abraham, serial entrepreneur bu- building some of the you know, biggest companies in tech, is joining us this week with the pod. How's it going, Jack? Welcome to the Miami Tech Pod. Thanks for having me. It's going great. Happy Friday. I know. Happy Friday. We're another, I feel like we're uh, undefeated with good weather on Fridays. Uh, we've been, we've been, uh, ha- we have a good streak here in Miami. Uh, but, and, and speaking of, I mean, I think it's, uh, we, we should probably start by saying it's apparently Miami Tech Week. It is apparently. It's, <laughs> it's very funny. I, I think that just started really as a meme on Twitter and all of a sudden, hundreds, if not a, a thousand people just flew in here hoping that there, there was a lot of content going on and there have been a lot of impromptu things popping up, um, but it's it just goes to show the fervor around Miami continues. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jack, I'll, I wanna ask you, cause oh, it's tough. Look, we've, we all of us here born and raised Miami people, like we're super excited by seeing all this happen. So we've been working on the tech scene here for the last decade or so. and. All of this is so super exciting. So we were trying to pinpoint what's the origin of all this craziness, right? Like all the stuff that happened in the last year. So we we're thinking, okay, there's, so Keith said he was moving here. Was that the inflection point? And the mayor's tweet, that was an inflection point. But I think as we're doing a little bit deeper, I think there's some signs pointing to you, Jack. I think you've done some convincing getting guys like Keith and Peter. So is that the case? Did you convince Peter and Teal to move, uh, Peter and, and Keith to move? And, and what was the origin for you to migrate over here to Miami? Yeah, good question. Um, So it's an interesting story. I inadvertently ended up here and also inadvertently ended up getting a lot of people to come out here. The story is I was invited. I I grew up on the East Coast. I have a lot of friends actually that live in New York. And a lot of them had asked me, hey, let's come down. Let's go do a week in Miami. This was during the pandemic in June. And I said, okay. So I joined them. I came down here. We rented a house. And then, of course, within a week of coming, I happened to get COVID. Um, which was unfortunate for me. Thankfully, it didn't last that long, but I did continue testing positive for the PCR test for about a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I didn't feel comfortable going back to San Francisco. I didn't want to spread it to anyone on the plane. So we ended up staying. We rented a bunch of different houses around the different communities in Miami, um, kind of exploring the area. And I just fell in love with Miami. I think Miami is a pretty incredible city, and I think it's still undiscovered to many, interestingly. I think in my mind, what I came to is the city has kind of the best of New York and the best of LA in one city. It has the best of New York in that it has the energy of New York. You know, you can feel it on the streets. You, you go into Brickell, you, you look up, you feel like you're in Manhattan. Things are open late. The food scene's great. There are incredible restaurants here. But also there's a lot of diversity, which I really like. So a lot of diversity of people. There's a lot of diversity of industries, which is really nice kind of coming from a little bit more of a monoculture um, in San Francisco. And then best of LA in that you've got the weather, you've got the water, you're 10 or 15 minutes away from a beach with palm trees at any given time, but you've also got the style, you've got design, you've got fashion, you've got architecture, you have an incredible art scene. Um, So I really think that that's, that's really special. And so I ended up actually falling in love essentially with the city and decided to buy a place. I found a place and bought it back in August. 
And I regularly catch up with a lot of the top venture capitalists because we do a lot of investments with them and they're always wanting to see what they can invest in in our portfolio. And through those catch-ups, people inevitably would ask, as everyone did in the pandemic, where are you? And I would say, I'm in Miami. And they'd say, why are you in Miami? Nobody's in Miami. So at that time, there was no Miami thing. Like it was, you were kind of a little out there if you were in Miami. So I felt kind of a need to defend Miami. And I just told them why I was in Miami and why I love it here and why I think it's great. And by the way, why I think it has the ingredients to become a tech hub in the future. And literally from those conversations, I was not trying to convince them to come, but inadvertently they all came after those, (laughs) they literally all came. Um, So Founders Fund decided to come here and, you know, that brought Keith and Peter and, um, you know, David Sachs has since come out, Josh Kushner has come out. Um, I've convinced a lot of other early stage investors and mid-stage investors to come out and other great founders that have kind of helped establish a community around here. Um, And it continues to build and compound over time. I think one of the things that's always made both New York City and San Francisco so special is just the people. There are just really, really good people in those cities. And I think now the community here it's just an incredible group of people. It's kind of the people on the vanguard, I would say. And the interesting thing here is it's not just people from the tech industry. It's from every industry. It's from real estate, finance, healthcare, everything. And um, I think that's amazing. Everyone wants to meet each other. And um, it almost feels like, and it's felt like the first week of college in Miami where everyone knows there's great people here. Nobody knows exactly who's here. Um, but they're open to meeting and they're open to having conversations. And it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. So did you think like when you bought the house, did you think this was just going to be like a pita terre and that you were eventually going to go back to San Francisco or did you think this was going to be a long-term? No, actually. Yeah, no, I, I knew this was going to be a long-term thing. Um, it's funny. I came down here for what was supposed to be this week long trip. And literally because I got COVID, this whole thing got triggered. And I haven't been back to San Francisco. I owned three properties there. I had them all sold remotely. I basically gave away pretty much everything I had to charity and just started new here. And it's been it's been great. Um, I haven't really looked back since. Did you sell them to Open Door? Uh, I did not sell them to Open Door. Yes. I don't think Open Door operates in San Francisco. And got it, got it. Uh, yeah. I, so I that been, wasn't a point of contention between you and Keith about that. No, no, not not a point of contention. Not a point of contention at all. Um, I was a little nervous about selling some of that stuff, especially being remote, but it ended up working out. So, Jack, let, let's back up because I think you've had a phenomenal uh, career in tech, and a lot of people who are really just starting or building companies or you know raising money um, will, I think, get a get a lot of value out of your journey, right? So can you kind of start in the beginning? Like what was the first uh, company that you built? What, you know, what, what were those early stages for your career like? Yeah, good question. Um, so I've had, a, I've had a great journey. I kind of always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I started programming when I was 12 or 13, started starting companies when I was 15. And I went to Wharton undergrad to try to get a business background in addition to kind of the technical background that I've just learned on my own. 
And I actually had a professor that offered me a half a million dollars to drop out and start a company um, that I was doing an independent study with. And that, I took that my happens life. all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was incredible. It was a great start. And I basically moved out to the Bay Area. I didn't know anybody. I had no friends, no family there. And I built my first company, Milo, there um, kind of through the Great Recession and coming out the backside of that, I was able to sell the company to eBay. Um, they wanted to acquire it, got to run the local division. And then while I was at eBay, I'm a big believer in kind of not wasting time. So I wanted to experiment with, you know, what can you do at a big company maybe that you couldn't do at a startup? And I'm a huge fan of Amazon's. Jeff Bezos is incredible. Amazon has this amazing, amazing ability to innovate. One of the secrets that Jeff Bezos has is a concept called two pizza teams, which is essentially, even if it's a big idea, you take a really small group of people, you put them off you know, from the mothership and you let them innovate. And then once it works, then you put a lot more resources on it. So I started doing that and I formed about six different teams of between three to eight engineers to build products for eBay. And the majority of what we built hit and you know was driving big press cycles for the company, the stock price in many cases. The biggest thing we did is we um, reinvented the core homepage and we got 130 monthly active users using that product um, from idea to launch on eBay in nine months, which was basically a feed that you could follow things on eBay, like brand sellers, safe searches, et cetera. I also started angel investing and angel invested in a bunch of companies that have gone on to be very successful, some many decacorns over, um, which was really exciting. and. I had a couple of hundred ideas, two or 300 actually, um, by the time I was ready to leave. And I thought, you know, if I can put these two pizza teams together for eBay, where nobody actually gets any upside if it works, and you have a lot of organizational constraints working against you, I think, in forming something new. From first principles, it seems like you should do that with startups. Um, so I started Atomic with my own capital, the idea of how can we form these two pizza teams to start companies and invest in them along the way and get them to grow. Um, so that was kind of the genesis for for Atomic. That, that's really great. Um, how was that 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 transition from you know being uh, a founder to you know? And I know Will's has kind of had a similar thing, right? Where your company gets acquired, and now you're in this very large uh, enterprise, and and you get. I'm sure you negotiated some type of autonomy with eBay and and, and all of that. But how, how was that like? I mean, was that was it um, a bit of a culture shock? Was it weird having a boss? Like, how, how did that work? Yeah, you know, I had just heard from so many other founders that had had their companies acquired that they kind of became miserable. Um, there's this concept rest invest after you kind of get acquired. And I just don't believe in that. I just want to have like a really big impact in my life. I want to do great work. And um, so I the one thing that was really cool about eBay is if I got fired, I actually vested. So I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm going to take some risks here and I'm going to actually try to do great work. And if it works out great, and if they hate me, then they'll fire me and that's fine. Um, so I kind of had a little bit more of a lease, I guess, to innovate and break some glass, so to speak, than other people did on behalf of the customer. And that's what I did. I just tried to build great products while I was there. And um, I'm very grateful. I had an awesome mentor while I was there, John Donahoe, who's the CEO, was the CEO of eBay and now runs Nike and learned a tremendous amount of, from him while I was there and had a really, really great experience as a founder that was acquired, I think, partially as a result of him and kind of taking on that mentality of, you know, 
I'm just going to form some great things here and build some great products. Tell us more about like um, some of the big things that you're most proud about uh, of like Atomic. So like we all know about like hims and hers and, and uh, but I don't know if our audience knows sort of like what makes hims and hers unique, you know, compared to a traditional uh, pharmaceutical, I don't know, how, how would you classify it? You know, telehealth, right? Yeah, telemedicine. Um, yeah. Hims and hers was, was great. I think in general, the part of the thesis behind Atomic and one of the reasons why I wanted to start it is um, I think particularly as you get older, you realize I used to think when I was young, you use the word, you know, they, oh, they're going to do this. You always think someone else is going to do something. I think what you realize is actually there's a lot of agency in the world in starting things. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with Atomic is, man, there's so many problems. There's so many things to solve. Can we have agency? Can we catalyze creating a lot of great things that impact people's lives, particularly in like the big segments of people's lives? So we do things across all sorts of industries, healthcare, real estate, finance, education, e-commerce. We do AI kind of across the board. And with hims and hers, it was really an idea of how do we improve healthcare? Healthcare is very, very, very broken. In the US, I mean, there's so much money going into that system and the outcomes kind of like actually go down over time. We're one of the few countries in the world where lifespan is actually shrinking despite how much money is going into it. 33 cents of every dollar in the, in the economy goes through that industry. And the more we studied the healthcare industry, we just kind of thought, well, it just seems broken. You, you just got to go around the whole thing. You just got to go directly to the consumer. Um, one very good pattern for businesses is if you take things that people are already doing and you dramatically simplify the process, you usually get more of the behavior. Um, so with hims and hers, you know, the idea was, you know, what, what could be kind of one of the beachheads into that? We tested a lot of different um, entry points and it turns out hair loss was kind of something that was testing off the charts um, at the time. Um, Propecia had just become generic and it was able to be distributed more. It's interesting, there's uh, 50,000, only 50,000 men in the United States are getting treated for hair loss, but 50 million people have it. And that just seems like a big gap, you know? This drug does not have many, if any, side effects, like three out of a thousand people are experiencing some of the severe side effects over the control group. So why not find a way to distribute that more? And it turns out telemedicine is a great vehicle for that. That's kind of wild that like it's such a low number that we're getting treated for because I grew up seeing Rogaine ads on TV 24-7, you know, and so I just assumed that every old man was taking Rogaine, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you would. So one of the things that happens in the drug industry is like the drug companies will advertise drugs while they're on patent because that's how they can make money. Once they go off patent, the exactly. drug companies can't really make money on it, so they stop advertising. But that's the point when people really need them, actually, because they're finally cheap enough that everyone can have them. So that's kind of an unfortunate thing, actually, that happens in, in the healthcare industry is like, it just gets pushed when the drug companies can make a lot of money, and then when it can really help more people, it doesn't. And telemedicine can help bridge that in a lot of interesting ways. Um, but we have people that take it, take those medications of all ages. Um, some people can even take it prophylactically if they know that, you know, it runs in their family, for example, and it's very helpful for them. 
Jack, so a qu question here. Uh, you know, I'm well acquainted with April Mims, who's the VP of Public Policy now at at uh, Hems and Hers, and um, I, I'd love your take of how you view as as a founder, as someone who thinks about a lot of you know kind of business ideas and actually acts on it and starts building these companies. Um, how do you view regulations, right? Like just broadly speaking, is it is it? Do you think of it as like if there is a good product market fit, we'll figure out the regulatory side, or do you actually view it on the front end in the due diligence uh, of, of, of the company? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of really important parts of life are in this process of what's called regulatory capture, which is like the companies that make a lot of money make the laws, and therefore they're not actually doing things that are good for people. You know, we saw this with the transportation industry with sort of taxis and, and all of that and Uber, Uber arising. Um, you know, you wanna be very careful with regulations. You always wanna follow regulations. We were always very careful about that. Um, but at the same time, we actually lobbied a lot of states and showed actually telemedicine is not only more convenient for people and more effective and the intake forms are much more comprehensive. So you can be much more precise on Kind of the dose that you're prescribing and then also the medication that you're prescribing um but at the same time it, it'll just dramatically increase the treatment rates for a lot of diseases and we're able to successfully lobby and get a lot of states to make it legal to do telemedicine um so you have to you have to work within legal frameworks is my perspective um some people have taken other perspectives on that and there are also rationales um, behind that. But in general, doing things that are right for the end customer and the end consumer is you know, what you wanna work backward from. So recently it was announced that uh, you partnered up with Keith to launch Open Store, which will be based out of Miami. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that initiative and, and what you guys hope to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're not saying too much publicly about it. It's funny, you know, there's been so much press about the company, but um, that hasn't really been on purpose. It, there's just been a lot of things that have leaking. So I don't want to inadvertently, you know, tell too much given that it's under stealth, but it's kind of, I think what Keith has described it as is open door meets square for e-commerce. Um, we'll be releasing more about it in the future, but we think it's a really big opportunity. And one of the things that Keith and I really want to do here is prove that Miami can build very, very, very large companies, like 10 billion, 50 billion, $100 billion plus companies. And I think that's absolutely possible. I actually think Miami kind of feels a little more like Silicon Valley did when I moved there back in like 2000, you know, 2008, 2009, I guess 2008, where anything's possible. There's a lot of optimism. It's also very cheap housing here, which I think is really nice. Like everyone can participate in the community and anyone can kind of move here and have a shot. I think the Bay Area got incredibly expensive and like it's unfortunate that people kind of got priced out from participating in entrepreneurship. And I hope this can be a city where people can actually be entrepreneurs for the long term and anyone can move here and anyone can be happy and anyone can kind of build something great. and. Um, Open Store is one of the companies that we want to prove that with. Um, we'll also be starting about five or 10 companies here a year um, out of Atomic. A we, year? <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's the goal. Last year, we did about one a month. Um, so I think that that's achievable. 
don't hold me to it. We have a philosophy of, you know, quality over quantity at Atomic. We don't want to artificially just start companies for the sake of starting companies. It's masochistic. That would be a horrible idea. So, you know, if we don't find things of very high quality, I'd be happy if OpenStore is the only company. Um, that being said, we are already building many companies. So um, I think it's I think it's a realistic and achievable to do five or 10. Are, are all of those under stealth or are there some that, that you guys are incubating that you're you're kind of in storytelling mode already? All of those are in stealth for now. Um, we're doing some other interesting things in AI, in e-commerce, some more in healthcare, some in, in fintech that, that are exciting. But we have to be careful about describing the companies we start because people sure. just copy them. They just copy them very early on. Um, so we have to be careful. How can folks, Jack, uh, get involved with some of the stuff that you're doing, whether that's at Open Store or the new companies that you're starting at Atomic? I'm sure there's a lot of folks locally here in the Miami tech ecosystem that want to get to know you and the stuff that you're building at Atomic. What's the best way for those folks to get involved and reach out? Yeah, they can feel free to reach out to me. I mean, my email's easy. It's just jack at atomic.vc. Shoot me a note. Um, Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed with emails, so I apologize if I won't be able to respond right away, but I'll do my best to route it in the right direction. And there are going to be a lot of amazing opportunities. We're looking for people that want to co-found companies with us, you know, join founding teams of companies, join teams that are scaling. There are going to be a lot of opportunities going forward. So Jack, it's a rare occasion, a rare opportunity for you to have four locals uh, in a conversation who are actually been here forever. So what are you curious about with regards to Miami? Like, what are some of the questions that you've had sort of burning that you want us to answer for you? That maybe the mayor hasn't already answered, I guess. I think I have a pretty good sense of the scene here at this point. I feel great being a part of this. I hope to connect with a lot more people here. I've been trying to do that. Um, I don't really have too many questions. I think, you know, one of the things is I think, you know, distributed works really well. Remote teams work really well. We've been set up to do that at Atomic across our portfolio. We have over 10, you know, offices across North America at this point. Um, I think that I would love to help, you know, bring some more engineers here. There are great engineers, um, but I think that if we just brought some engineers here, they'd fall in love with Miami too, and they would want to move here. Um, and I think that that is something that I've seen happening, but I think, and, and is accelerating, but I think, you know, with a little bit more concerted effort, like I said, I think Miami is undiscovered in many ways. And I think that, you know, if we can just get people to come and see how great it is, I think a lot of them will want to stay and that can also help build out a great ecosystem here. I want to say also before we wrap up, Jack is one of the few that has already experienced the Miami summer and has chosen to stay. We keep hearing this, like, oh, wait till these Silicon Valley folks experience the Miami summer. They'll be a Jack's here. He moved here last June, July. He's experienced summer. He's still here. So let's put that to rest, right? Once and for all. Yeah, you know, I actually really liked the summer. I, I don't get the whole, oh my God, the summer's yeah. thing. Part of it is, I work really hard during the day, so I'm not outside. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and there's this amazing invention called air conditioning that right. is pretty effective. Yeah, <laughs> and, and actually the nights are just so nice in the summer. You know, it's warm outside. I like spending time outside, especially during the pandemic. It was such a breath of fresh air to just be able to be outside at night. Um, 
So I loved it. I thought it was great. I didn't think it was like too humid or anything. There were maybe a couple of days in August that were really, really hot, but I actually didn't mind it. I, I really enjoyed the summer here quite a bit. That's great. Um, well, Jack, thanks for, thanks for joining the Miami tech pod. I mean, we are, uh, we're thrilled that you're here building companies. I think, you know, you're going to get, um, you're going to find that a lot of people are just, there's this general excitement. You know, I, we, we've all had a bit of interactions or have worked for directly, you know, Silicon Valley companies where it's kind of a different mindset, right? Like when I was at Uber, there was like, you know, the, the general sense of it was like, okay, I'm going to do two years here and then like jump somewhere else. And it was very much like focused, like I think too indexed on the like, you know, building a bit of, of equity portfolios, right? Where I'm just going from company to company and like, uh, and less focused on like, how do we build really cool shit here? You know, and how do we just like focus on solving the problem? And then once we solve the problem, move on, right? Do you get the sense that that's your general feeling of the people that you're meeting here? Or is there a bit more of, um, you know, that, that mindset that I don't think is terribly helpful to building great companies? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. You know, one thing I've been very pleasantly surprised by here in Miami is over time, as I stayed in the Bay Area a little bit longer, it felt like it was becoming more and more transactional. Like people were kind of using each other for some end, you know, like as an entrepreneur, it felt like everyone was trying to figure out if they could make money off of you. And then, it, you know, if they can, great. And then if not, you're gone kind of a thing. I don't really like that vibe. I think it's great to build long-term relationships. I think people here want to help each other. I think there's a really good community. I think there's much more like long-term oriented relationships that can form here and that I see forming. And I think that'll play out in the companies too in a positive way. Um, so I hope that that can maintain as Miami continues to scale and more people come here. Wonderful. Well, again, Jack, thank you so much for, for joining uh, the pod. This was a really great conversation. Um, as you start, you know, exiting the stealth mode of some of these companies and you want to share some news with us, feel free to jump back on in the future. And we, we really appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks so much, guys. Really enjoyed it and hope to see you in real life soon. All awesome. right. This, absolutely. Thanks. See ya. Thank you, Jack. Bye. This wraps up episode 17 of the Miami Tech Pod. Um, as always, feel free to jump on Twitter, show, share some love, share what you guys are hearing out there, like, and subscribe to the show. And we'll, we have a great show for episode 18. So make sure, uh, you're, you're following us for some updates on that one. So take care. <laughs>